What if I told you that being in the right place at the right time was not a circumstance of luck? What if I told you it's a skill that you could learn and leverage to achieve your goals and dreams? This is the Right Place Right Now podcast with Travis Fields and Brandon Johnson. Against seemingly impossible odds, Sean Conley went from being a no-name kicker at a Division III school to starting for the University of Pittsburgh and ultimately having a shot at his dream of playing in the NFL. Not just once, but three times. After graduation, Sean began a dramatic and abbreviated career in professional football, playing for the Detroit Lions, Indianapolis Colts, New York Jets, and finally the Scottish Claymores in the NFL Europe. That journey came with a price. As a result of overtraining, Sean suffered career-ending injuries and found himself without direction and without a job. However, his story didn't end there. As part of his rehabilitation and regrouping, Sean became a dedicated yoga practitioner at the suggestion of his wife. He eventually fully embraced the mindfulness, meditation, and philosophy of yoga as a new life direction and became a yoga teacher himself. Just as Sean thought his life was over, it was actually just beginning. This is the story of an ex-NFL player who discovered the true meaning of sports and life and found happiness in the most unexpected way. Enjoy this episode with Sean Conley. Sean, thanks for joining us today on the Right Place Right Now podcast. How are you? I'm doing well, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're thrilled. We got in contact. I've been looking at your stuff. You are in the process of starting a podcast. You have a book out right now, The Point After. Tell us a little bit about all the irons you have in the fire. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah, well, well but where it all began in terms of the, well, the, the podcast that's coming out next week, it's it's called the the Happy Athlete. It relates to to my book, which is basically about someone who myself who who struggled as an athlete. I struggled with 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 ADD. I struggled with perfectionism. You know, a lot of the things that uh, athletes struggle with. Um, the big the, the main premise of of my book, um, which is called The Point After is how I battled an identity crisis, which most athletes go through. One of the reasons why I wrote the book is most of the stories out there that are written by athletes, you know, they're, they're usually more about their successes and, you know, how they got there, which is great. But what I wanted to share more in, in the book was, you know, all the insecurities that I had and that it didn't just, it didn't just happen. So I certainly was lucky enough to have a high degree of resilience, but at the same time, you know, I just want to be really honest in sharing my story that, um, you know, when, when, when my career ended, I really had no idea where to, to, to go next. So I really wanted to dive deep into that. You know, when we, when we see these athletes today who, you know, were like, oh, why won't so-and-so retire? You know, he, he you know, he, his game is down or her game is down. You know, for me, I was, I was stuck for a long time without moving on. So that's, one of the main reasons, as I said, to, to write this, the book is not only is it about athletes, but I think a lot of us, you know, whatever job we have, you know, we can get very stuck in like, oh, this is how my life is supposed to be. But for me, my life didn't go according to plan. My whole life uh, from a very young age, I always thought I'd be in the NFL and I worked really hard for it. And because I always envisioned myself playing in the NFL, I think that helped, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, just making that dream happen. Yet at the same time, because I was so focused on it and, and how I never pitched myself doing anything else when my career ended, I was like, like what now? So, so, so the book was, 
um, you know, to share that there is, there's more beyond that. And I tried to bring in uh, yoga, mindfulness, meditation as tools, you know, for athletes who are going through this so they could have some skills, you know, once their career ended. And they're also very uh, practical for, for, for anyone else, you know, whether you're an athlete or not. So talk to me a little bit about this identity crisis from the context of where you are now, because obviously you went through that and you've kind of found your path a little bit in your words, like who is Sean Conley today? Yeah. I mean, I, I think who I am today is, you know, just is, is, is someone who tries as best as I can to, to be in the present moment. When I was pursuing my NFL career, I look back and there was very little like in the present moment, I was always looking into the future. And I was, I, my attitude was always like, I'll be happy when, um, you know, I'll be happy when I'm playing division one football, you know, then once I'm playing division one football, I'll be happy when I'm the starter. And then once I'm the starter, I'll be happy when I'm, you know, first team, all conference or first team, all American. And then once I'm that I'll be happy when I'm drafted. And once I'm <laughs> drafted, I'll be happy when I make the team Then I make the team and it just goes on and on and on until I make this, you know, make the Super Bowl. So, you know, certainly I look back and there was times, you know, when I was, when I was really in the present moment, but I, I just spent a lot of time projecting and never really, you know, being grateful for, 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 for what I had. And there were some pluses and minuses to that. So, cause I think as athletes, because I was always looking into the future and I always had these goals, I was always pushing myself and challenging myself, but, but I could have had more balance you know, while I was doing this, because when I would fail, you know, I could, pr I was pretty destructive on myself. And, you know, I've, I've, I've read this a lot from, from, from other athletes, you know, the, um, the Zen master, the, the, the coaches of Chicago Bulls, he talked about this a lot as a, as an athlete, when things didn't go his way, he would just, just go into complete self-loathing. And so as athletes, there is some, not necessarily good things about that, but because we always want to do well, then we push ourselves harder, but, it can also be, it can also be destructive and not all athletes can get out of that state. How do you navigate that? Cause in my experience being an athlete, entrepreneurship kind of scratches some of those itches, but also some of those demons come back out of it, right? If, so, if a business fails, if your podcast isn't successful or if the book flops or you and your wife run yoga studios that have had to fight pandemic, how do you keep yourself out of that frame of mind now that you're older and you've had some of that experience? Right. Yeah, absolutely. It never ends. It's, it, it, it's funny to say that because like my wife and I, uh, my wife also has an athletic background. So we, we operate our business very um, sports and, and team minded or with like a, you know, with a, the team philosophy, but yeah, it, it happens again. And, and I always, I try to catch myself because it's very easy for myself, even when I make mistakes in my business to be like, oh, I should have, should have done this instead, or I, I should have done that. And it was no different than when I trained, um, you know, to be a professional place kicker, my career ended prematurely because I overtrained. And so I spent a great deal of uh, amount of time when my career did, did end before I wanted it to looking back thinking, oh, I, sh I should have trained less. Should I should have rest my body more, right? or I or I or I should have went to you know should have signed with this NFL team because I had an offer from them instead of that one. I've had it, so yeah, it still comes up, and and then so what we always try to do is like, hey, that's that's happened. It's in the past. Like what's what's going on right now? So I think the lessons I learned as an athlete, you know, they still come into play, like in like running a business. Like there's you know you could learn from the mistake that happened, but it's like, hey, this is what what's in front of you, and face that.
Yeah, I think there's a ton of wisdom already in this conversation and pulling those those lessons from your sports career. So, so you have this book, you've got this podcast. Uh, is there some goal of tying these together? What's kind of your to get out of the current phase, I guess, this is kind of counter to, to what you were just saying, but what are you moving towards with all of this? Or is there anything? Yeah, for sure. I mean, my main goal for it is just to help athletes who have experienced a similar story to me. And that is, you know, once my career ended, like, like, like what now? And there's, it, it, it's interesting, you know, when I was having this conversation with my first guest, her name is Allie Nolan, who's, who's a runner who, who has also experienced some of this as athletes, we can really like beat ourselves up and have some, you know, mental health issues, have some issues, you know, with just, you know, maybe not practicing mindfulness enough and, and, you know, being more present and all that. But, you know, it wasn't too long ago where we couldn't talk about that publicly, you know, as an athlete, if I were to go to my coach and say, you know, I had that, I had any mental health issues whatsoever or anything, you know, that they even regards, is, 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 is in the world of, of, of mindfulness and focus and all that, like, you know, coaches really for, for a very long time period, just didn't want to hear that, you know, so if you had, you know, any mental health issues, it was just like, you know, train harder. So that's going to be, you know, you know, the, 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 the idea of the show is, is to bring more of that out in the open, you know, so there certainly will be a degree of talking about mindfulness and how that can help you perform because that's that's also super important being present when you're out there in the in, on, on the court for example and you miss your first free throw and being able to let that free throw go and focus on the next one being able to you know be calm in a a, a tense moment you know with like a minute left in the game and, and keeping your cool so there's there's we're, we're going to dive into that yet at the same time we want to be able to dive into skills that athletes could also use off the field because they, they, they tie in. So if an athlete can, you know, practice mindfulness and, and be calm off the field, they can probably do on the field and, and vice versa. And it sounds like they're they're I mean, I've heard from athletes before. There's even not so much with the mental health, like even physical health, you play through it, right? You, you take some pills and, and you get out there and, and get the job done. And there's gotta be some kind of a correlation there with like with you, you, you know, you said you overtrained and and your career ended early. That seems like a, a correlative thing with with mental health as well. Like if you overdo it mentally, you're going to burn out and end quickly. Just like with a back injury or a leg injury, you know, you got to you got to let that stuff heal. And uh, I think a lot of times in the sports world, it doesn't it doesn't get a chance to. And I, that's that's true in life too. Have you do you correlate the physical injuries that you've had like with the mental mental health and all do you, do you talk about that at all with your uh, mindfulness yeah travis yeah yeah like a hundred percent and i think where it gets dicey for athletes is if i'm if i'm training and i feel sore from training and it's just like some muscle soreness you know that's something that that makes sense for me to to work through and and to keep going i think where the big challenge comes in for athletes is when it gets to the point as you mentioned like overtraining. When am I training too much where I'm, I'm, I'm not only hurt my body physically, but also mentally. And that was something I, I really, really struggled with because I always thought when I was training that I was never doing enough. And so I would train, you know, as a kicker, you know, the, the leg can only handle so much. And so instead of focusing on quality, instead of just going out and kicking 20, 25 balls and just making sure that, you know, I'm just hitting them really clean and sharply 
I would just keep kicking until like I had like a set amount. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to keep kicking until I like I had a, hit a hundred. I'm going to kick 20 balls from the 30 yard line, the 40 and 50 and whether, however my leg was feeling, I just ignored it because for me, this was like the mentality of I'm an athlete. I thought like, I'm just, you know, I'm a robot. Basically I'm just gonna keep going and going no matter what my body's doing. And so that's, that's the big challenge for athletes is like, where's, where's this, where's this air, where's this, the difference here where, you know, this gray area beyond pushing myself, because we always think, okay, push, push, you know, that's how you like your, you, you, you can separate yourself from, from other athletes and, and be at the highest level, but then there's a certain point where now you're doing your body and your mind no good anymore. Where does that stigma come from in the sports world? Is it is it more peer pressure driven? Is it coach driven? I mean, you take like Simone Biles, she just skips some events at the Olympics and, and man, she's getting some crazy criticism from it, but it's probably the best thing she could have done. Where does that come from in the sports world? Where does that mindset start? Yeah, I think it's a combination and it's, it's slowly dissipating in terms of this overly intense environment, uh, coaching mindset. Like, I think there's fewer and fewer. I was talking to a football player and a former NFL player who just got out of the game a couple of years ago. And the difference between when I played in the mid nineties, where like, if you had an injury or anything, like you just wouldn't go to the coach and, and tell, you know, cause that would just be like, like a complete sign of weakness. And it's shifted now where, you know, that was like almost hundred percent of the coaches. Now that, that number is going down. Uh, what is the university of Wisconsin now has like a, like a mindfulness coach university of Michigan has a, like a whole athlete mental health department. So it's, it's, it's shifting. So I think it does still, but it still does exist for sure in the coaching world. But I also think for a lot of the athletes, it's, it's just who they are. They're, they, they are, you know, driven to succeed so much. So even if the, 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 the coach is, you know, not so intense and isn't going to like, you know, push them too much athletes, I think in general have a tendency to, to just be really, really hard on themselves. And, you know, I've had this discussion many times with other athletes and that, that seems like a very common thread. And it, I think it makes sense because like to get to that a high level of what your sport is going to be, you're going to push yourself. And so anytime you do think about backing off, you got to battle that, you know, is this, is this my mental health that I need to take care of? Or, Hey, I, I don't want to lose my edge. I'm sure that's a tough line to toe. Yeah. How have you adopted this new mindfulness? Because in your, in sports, your body gives you feedback. Hey, you're sore today pay attention to that. And if you don't, then the repercussions, you'll, you'll figure out those consequences later. But for somebody like you, that's on a microphone or doing book signings or doing PR things, your body might not be giving you that feedback, but burnout can still be real in your practices. Have you found an ability to recognize those things? And if you get to that point, what do you do with it? Yeah. I, and yeah, yeah. I think, I think burnout could be in anything. I, I think for me, it's like now that I do non-physical stuff, but I'm, my burnout for me is when I feel like, nothing's really coming like, like from my heart. And that's one thing I feel pretty lucky about, like, like the work that I do now, it's like something I really believe in something I'm really, really passionate in. But when there's times where I feel like, I'm like I'm teaching a yoga class or I'm teaching meditation and I'm just, I'm not in it that I know something, something's off. So I have to do something to, to, to reboot. And, you know, for me, it's, that's usually because I'm not, doing those things for myself. I'm, I'm not taking time to, to do some yoga practice, some, some meditation. I've noticed as I've gotten older for me, it's not even so much like a physical practice 
that my body needs. Cause now that I, I just hit 50, it's for me, it's, it's, it's something mental. And so I, I never thought it in a million years I'd have enjoyed doing this, but I really enjoy doing, doing seated meditation where I just sit for like five, 10 minutes, you know, is, is even more than enough where I'll just sit there and just try to focus on my breath. And as I said, like, this is something I never really believed in. Cause I always thought that you had to do something really physical to really get into that, that headspace. But I've become like a, a, like a big believer in it. So, if, you know, sometimes like when I'm just, you know, off during the day, so to speak, my creativity is not where I want it to be or my energy, you know, I'll just sit down, meditate for five minutes. And that generally, not all the time, but it generally gives me like a little shift because what's happening is instead of me just thinking, 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 I'm just taking a moment to focus on my breath. And I've become a pretty big believer in that. Can we take that one step back further? When you feel that, you know what to do about it. How do we know, like, what are some signs just in general? Do you teach people how to recognize that in the first place? Because I, I think a lot of people get caught up with like, it doesn't feel right, but I don't even know what it is. How do you coach that? Yeah, absolutely. I think one way to look at it is it's almost something that, because it's harder, like when you're already in it. I think a good way to look at like meditation practice or yoga practice, anything that helps you with your mind is almost looking at it as like, like brushing or flossing your teeth as something preventative. So if this is something, Hey, I'm always going to like every day, I'm going to take some time to like take care of my mind, whether it's yoga, meditation, Tai Chi, or just like walking through the, the you know, the woods for 15 minutes, it's something that you do every day. So maybe, you know, the idea is that you'll have less of these moments where you feel fatigue or you feel, feel stuck. So, so I think it's hard once it's already happened, but the more we can be, um, you know, get ahead of it and make it like a routine, then, then it's less. And that seems to be most effective. I've, I've found just from speaking with people anecdotally, you, people who will say, Oh, I'm, you know, like I'm in a really bad place right now. And you're like, I need to come back to yoga. Cause it's been like three weeks or a month, but then people who have more consistent basis, they have, they have a tool right at their, their, their disposal when, when they are in a, in a place that's that, you know, they feel like they're not, not, not healthy, not well, low energy. They have the tools already right there where they can put it into action, whether that's, you know, their, their yoga practice or meditation or whatever they, whatever they used at, you know, to, to feel better. I love hearing that this is coming into sports and that you're seeing this more frequently. How did you find meditation and what was your first experience with it? Cause in my experience, meditation was very uncomfortable for the first year almost. And then you start seeing the benefits of it. What was your experience getting into it? Yeah, that's, that's super typical. My, I, I, unfortunately, or fortunately, cause it, it's, it's all worked out in a good way. I think my wife was a, um, you know, she was kind of like a pioneer in the whole yoga world. She got into yoga in the mid nineties when I was still playing football and she tried to get me to get into it not just for my body, but for my mind, but I just, just didn't believe it. And, and, you know, this is mid nineties when, you know, training in the NFL, there was, there was nothing like that, that, you know, if I wanted to get better, I spent more time in the weight room. So, you know, so when she told me, Hey, if you do some yoga, it's going to help you with your back, your hips. Cause I had chronic back and hip injuries starting in college. And, and then, and then through the few years when I was playing around the NFL, but I just, I didn't, I didn't believe her. So I didn't, I didn't do it at all, or just maybe just like a little bit, but once my career was over and my back was in really bad shape and I felt like I had nothing to lose, that's how I got into it. And I started doing the yoga practice 
my wife opened a studio in the, in the late nineties. And I was just basically the janitor, the accountant, um, just, you know, the behind the scenes guy, but I started taking yoga and, you know, going in the back corner and my back, which I had tried to heal multiple ways through, you know, um, everything from chiropractic acupuncture, everything and nothing worked, but within just a handful of months, my back felt as, as good as it ever did. I almost felt like making a, uh, an NFL comeback, but what really surprised me and what really sold me on it, because she used to tell me like, Oh, yoga is good for the mind and all other stuff. I, I, I never believed her. Um, but what I happened is the more I practiced, like you said, it, it took you like a year. Like for me, it took me a handful of months to finally start to realize that it could do more for my body. And, and what happened was looking back in retrospect is the more I practiced yoga. Cause when I first did yoga, I would, I would do it just like I would train for football. I would push, I would press, I would hold my breath. But after I practiced for a handful of months, I learned that in yoga, you, you focus on the breath, which I always thought was kind of wimpy. Like, why would I, why would I breathe? There's nothing really like physical in that. And so then when I did start to bring in the breathing into the yoga, that's when I started to realize um, it helped me with my mind. Like I was going through a lot of stuff when my career ended. One, the big thing was my, my father passed away right around the same time my career ended. Um, so I had that, you know, feeling regret with the NFL, feeling left out of the NFL. And I noticed that it really helped me with that. It wasn't something I was really pushing to have happen, but what happened was like through the yoga and the breathing, it just helped me be more present and like less stuck in my head thinking about like, you know, the, all the trauma with my father and so forth. So yeah, I, th I think it can take a while. And so, and then I never embraced seated meditation practice to maybe 10 years ago. So, and I've been doing yoga for I guess like 23 years. So the first 13 years, I didn't believe in sitting yoga because that to me was too passive. So there was, there was like a, like a, uh, a progression that I took, which was physical yoga first, then, oh, wow, I can breathe and get more out of yoga. And then eventually sitting because sitting didn't make any sense to me, but now years later it, it does. So, so your current state, you've got the book, you've got the podcast, you and your wife are running the meditation studios, but you've, you've kept touching on it. You had an NFL career, which actually has a really inspiring story leading up to that. Give us the high level of kind of that trajectory up until the end of your NFL career. Mm. Yeah. So, so I guess the high level was, you know, after the university of Pittsburgh, I, I signed with the Detroit lions. Uh, for me, it was, it was high, low, high, low, high, low. I, I signed with the lions. You know, they already have one kicker in camp. His name is Jason Hansen, who actually somehow some way just, just retired from the NFL a few years ago. He was in his mid forties, but um, I got cut by Detroit. So then I was down trying to get back in the league. The following year, I was able to resign with the Colts, which took me way back high because I was 20, 24 when I signed with the Colts and they had a kicker who was in his mid thirties. He was making about $700,000, which back then was like an astronomical amount for, for a kicker. Now it'd be way on the low end. And they signed me for like the league minimum and I was young and they brought me in. And the whole idea is like, you're coming in to take this guy's job. I had the leg strength, the talent, all that good stuff. But unfortunately to get through a six week training camp, um, I discovered I didn't have the endurance. And the reason why I didn't have the endurance uh, is because I overtrained getting back to that again. I trained so much leading up to camp. And it's crazy thinking back that I trained so much because at that point there in my career, I was already accurate. I was already able to, you know, kick off into the end zone. So there really wasn't, I didn't need to kick a million balls a day because there was really like not much better I could, I could get at that point. Like I was at the level where 
you know, I was NFL level, so to speak, uh, but I kept training and training and training. So a few weeks into training camp, uh, the veteran kicker there, he was really smart. He would like sit out sessions, tell the, tell the coach, he just wants to sit out. And you could do that when you're, when you're the veteran kicker, when you're in the incumbent, you have that, you have that, that leverage or that, right. So I would kick double sessions and day after day, after day kicking, being the only kicker doing the double sessions, my, my leg gave out. And then psh, I was cut because eventually instead of kicking off into the end zone, the balls are falling on the three and the four, which, you know, that's, that's not NFL material. So I got cut, same thing. I came back out and uh, I was back on the outside looking in signed with the jets, almost the same exact scenario. They had a kicker who's actually in his forties and they brought me in to win the job. And at this point here, my leg was just hanging on by a thread and in mini camp, my leg just went and that was it. And uh, they cut me and that was it. Well, actually wasn't totally it. Cause then I signed with <laughs> the Scottish claymores of the world football league. So I kept hanging on. This is when I got to the stage where I just didn't want to give up. So it was, so I went to the world football league, but then, you know, but then eventually my body couldn't do it no matter how hard I tried. I, I, it, it, it was over. I think most people would be surprised to hear that there is a football league in Europe and you were in it for a while. Yeah, it was, it was a blast. It, it was NFL Europe. And the whole idea was to expand the NFL's reach beyond the U S and it was, it was just a ball there. There, when I played, there were six teams. And so you'd play 10 games total one in you know, your host city, which for me was uh, in Scotland, Edinburgh. And then you, you know, you'd play on the road. So we'd have, you know, Barcelona at home and on the road, they had it all figured out. You get there on Thursday or, or yeah, Thursday, you'd practice on Friday, see the sites Saturday, you'd have the game after the game, they'd give you approximately $50. So, you know, at the time, this is before the euros, like in Amsterdam, you got 50 guilders to go out in the town, you know, then, you know, if you played London, you got 50 pounds or whatever the pounds were and you got out in town and then you'd be out all night. And then hopefully everybody made it to the bus the next morning to the, to the airport. But, uh, it was an interesting bunch of players. I, I had I had more fun playing in that league than I did in the NFL because those players were a lot like myself who just loved, love, love, love the game. And we were on the outside. You know, we were right on the cusp of the NFL. A lot of us were like myself who who were on a roster, NFL roster, then got cut. And so they're trying to get back in. So the, the playing in the NFL Europe gave you film, you know, that, you know, the, the, the NFL would watch you. But like these guys, you know, they just they just played for the love of the game. And because some of them, you know, they're near their end of their careers too, just hanging on. But that's it was the beauty kind of took me back in time of just, you know, just 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 playing for playing sake because there wasn't much money to be made over there. It was just to play to to have fun for the most part. So let's let's follow that rabbit trail a minute and just talk about that that moment when you realize this dream since you've had, you know, you've had what since you were eight eight years old or six years old, or like, I'm going to play in the NFL someday and you've made it. I mean, I can't imagine how much identity is tied in to being in the NFL and, and following that dream. You have a moment at some point in your career, you realize this is over. This is like my lifelong passion and dream has just ended. What was that like? Yeah. And, and yeah, you're right. It, it, it started at age eight and I, it, I, I drilled it in myself for a very long time growing up, like I was going to be in the NFL. I, I, I there was a, even a moment when I was in uh, the high school cafeteria and I had a bunch of other friends 
that I hung out with that were also, you know, we we're like the jock group and we're sitting there at lunch and we're all talking about like where we're going to college. And I, I, I told someone that I was, you know, I was going to play in the NFL someday. His name was Doug, still good friends today. And he, he laughed in my face, like, you're not going to play in the NFL. That's like impossible. And I took a, I had a Snyder sourdough pretzel and he was sitting right across from me and I took and I launched at him and it half the pretzel like embedded in his forehead. Cause I was just so, it made me so upset that someone would tell me that like this dream that I've had at this point, it was 10 years that I, that I'm, that I'm not going to make it. And so for, for whatever reason, I just kept pushing and pushing. And I, I, I first went to a division three school, Grove city college. And on the first day of, of, of training camp, the coach came down and said, Hey, I'm sorry, we don't need you on the team. Cause, cause I, I had a walk on, I, I wasn't recruited to this division three school and um, that was it. So I, 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 I got shut down by a division three football team. So I had to recircle the wagons and I moved back home with my, with my folks, I dropped out of school and I think a 1.33 grade point average there. And I started drinking a lot, but kicking, I, I, I didn't give up on that. So that got me back into it. And I played two years at a, at a division three school where I made, I believe four kicks out of, out of 16 over a two year period. But I was, I had a really strong leg. So I kept pushing and pushing and pushing because this is who I'm going to be. I'm going to, I'm a football player. I'm going to play in the NFL someday. And so that drove me to my next move, which was where I walked on at the university of Pittsburgh. And when I got there, there was, there was already five kids on scholarship and two or, and, or four kids on scholarship and two walk-ons. So I was, I was, I was seventh on the depth chart. Um, luckily by the, by the time our first game happened, actually it was, it was a half an hour before kickoff. I moved from seventh all the way to the starting kicker. And so I figured once I made that, the next step is going to be, you know, the NFL. So I had a really good, good year with Pitt. And then, yeah, then in those three years playing in the NFL, bouncing around, like there's, cause I was always able to overcome whatever the challenge was. So I figured every time I got cut, like, Hey, I'm going to, you know, of course I had these moments of being down on myself, like, you know, then I would move on that. And I always said, I'd, I'd go beyond. So when they, when the jets uh, physician, cause that's what happened was when I was in camp there, I was, I, I was you know, feeling pain. I knew something was going on with my leg. And I came into the trainer's room. He said, Hey, your, your leg is shot. Like there's your hip flexor, the, the muscle that connects um, your hip and your quad is I can't, I can't find it. Cause he was poking around at my leg for a while. He said, I can't find it. It's gone. I said, well, what do you mean? He's like, like, yeah, it, it, it's, it's degenerated. And then I said, well, can I still kick? He's like, we well, can't kick without a, a muscle that connects that. So that was it. So for me that I had a really, really hard time believing it. So to answer your question, actually, I, I didn't, I couldn't move on from there. I just wasn't prepared for that. That's when I, I, I played in the World Football League, thinking that somehow my leg would miraculously uh, cure. I thought about playing in the Arena Football League, and so it took me a few years to process that whole thing because up until that point, I never really pictured myself doing anything else other than a, other than an NFL kicker and having a long career. Going through that identity crisis is I think you referred to it earlier. I think there's a lot of people that are fighting that right now, especially post COVID where either they lost jobs that they've been attached to for a really long time, or they're realizing it's not true to who they are. They've just been kind of going through the motions. You've been detached from it for a while now, looking back, what type of advice would you give yourself or someone who's going through that and really trying to struggle with who I am as a human? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really hard. And I think that challenge like, like, like never ends. And I think it's, it's, it, it's always looking for opportunities that, that really like ignite 
ignite your heart, so to speak. When I was at, um, after my career ended, I was working in the pharmaceutical and biotech industry. And, and what I, the reason why I gravitated toward that industry is I wanted something competitive to fill the void. So I figured I could get, get into sales and I could excel at that. And I could be in this competitive world. I did that for about eight years. And, but what I realized while I was doing that, I was just masking this feeding of like, you know, I got to compete and push and it, it, my heart really wasn't into it. And so I started thinking like, while I was doing that, um, I was also beginning to teach yoga. My wife was getting it, get me into that or help me get into that. But I found that that really did like, like feed me. And, and the reason why it did is because I was, I was able to like give back to, you know, the, the athletic community. I started working with athletes and, and helping people with injuries and like, you know, non-athletes. And so that was really feeding me and I wanted to, to move on. I wanted to get out of pharmaceutical sales and be a yoga teacher full-time, but I was terrified because there was, I'd make a lot less money. There wasn't the security I had there. I lost all the perks, company car, all that good stuff. We had a sales meeting and they brought in Micah Ruzioni from the 1980 uh, Miracle on Ice hockey team. And he, he gave a speech. And at one part of the speech, he said, if what you're doing right now doesn't fill your heart and you're not passionate about it, quit quit and let somebody else do it who who is passionate about it and who really believes in that because like you're not doing yourself any good and you're you're blocking opportunity for somebody else and that really like stuck with me because what I was doing really wasn't wasn't really lighting me up so to speak and so I I try to still bring that in today as much as I can you know like when when we make business decisions like are like what is the value to this are we doing this as something like just to make money or to do it, like, cause we feel like we have to, or is this something that we're really excited about and passionate about bringing into our business? And I think that can be really challenging for us looking for new careers because we also need to pay the bills. You know, my father, I think was always like a really good example that he had a job. He was a security guard and he didn't, he didn't love his job. He made the best of it, but what he did outside of it made him happy. You know, so he always found avenues to do that. So, but I think it's always just being open to, to, to other opportunities. And I think it's so easy for ourselves, you know, to just, you know, label ourselves like this is who I am. And, but, but we're so much more than, than, than our job titles. But I think to, to, to be open for something else, you know, we just, we just have to keep that. I be okay with the uncertainty now, because you know, I noticed my daughter's going through that now where they're struggling with like the uncertainty of like, oh, this is like, there's like no jobs out there. What am I going to do? But like, it's just stay open to it. Keep putting yourself out there. And, you know, eventually that opportunity is going to present itself. How do you see those opportunities as opportunities? I think that's the hardest part of this is it, you can always look back and say, wow, that was an opportunity I should have taken in the moment. It gets a decision. Do I do this or do I not do this? How do you approach opportunity and actually seeing it with foresight instead of hindsight? Yeah. Yeah. That's like, that's like the million, million dollar question. You know, I, I think where I think just to take a step back on the whole opportunity thing is quite often. I know for myself is like, like when a door would close, so to speak with like an opportunity and, and something wouldn't go my way, I would spend a lot of time thinking like, oh, like, you know, this, this didn't go the way I wanted it to. And I, you know, spend way too much time that with the opportunity that's already been closed 
that I'm not seeing the one that's happening. I forget who, who said this quote, but this is a quote I try to live by where it's like, you know, if we spend too much time looking at the doors that are closed, that we're missing the ones that are, that are already, already open. So I always think that's like the, like the first step is like when things don't go the way we want, our career doesn't go the way we want it to, our life doesn't, if we spend too much time holding on to that, like this is how I wanted my life to go, then, then we're missing those opportunities. But, you know, to answer your question, I think, you know, that's really difficult. You know, does this opportunity, you know, what, what is my why for it? You know, what's, what's the reason, you know, is it something where I know that like will feed me, help me grow, um, help others, then maybe that's the opportunity for me. But if it, but if it doesn't fit some of those categories and maybe, maybe it isn't. I think you've been tying that back to identity. I wonder how many opportunities we miss because we're tied to this other identity. How much of that is just being open to being, you know, to, to breaking ties with that identity that like, this is who I am. This is what I got to do. This is who I got to be. I mean, how many opportunities do we miss just because of that self-talk? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I got into teaching yoga, I remember one of the things that I really struggled with was I was, it was, it was, it seemed I was, I was actually embarrassed to tell people that I was a yoga teacher, even though I really like loved what I was doing. And when I was doing it, I felt really good about it. But at the time it just seemed so unusual. And it was like, this was something that was like, you know, considered like, Oh, unmanly because I'm, I'm doing something that's not, you know, sports, so to speak. But for me, like looking back, it was something that I just felt really true to myself that I knew that I want to do that. It's something I really enjoyed. And so I think that's, that's always the battle. It's so easy to, you know, the, the, from the outside, you know, people trying to influence you to do your life in a way that they think is, is best for you. But it's, it's like, well, Hey, you know, what, 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 what do I want to do? That's a whole nother conversation right there. Yeah, <laughs> the, I the, like identity, the identity that other people decide we should have. <laughs> yeah. How do you, I mean. I struggle with that just from this. So we're 20 episodes recorded into this and I still have a hard time sometimes telling people like I'm a podcaster, right? Because I still have this career over here where I do this job in an office that's official and looks sexy and social networking opportunities. But when I talk about this, people are like, oh, you're one of those guys. How do you break that disconnect from what is true to you and really being able to set aside it sounds like even whenever you told your buddy, I'm going to be a professional football player, you've always kind of been able to draw that line in the sand for yourself to be like, I don't need your influence. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Is that, is that true? Has that always been who you are? Yeah, I, well, it, it has, but at the same time, it, it's in from the outside, you know, it, it, it may look like, you know, you know what they say, like, don't, don't take things personally. And Yes. And I, and I believe I, I, I try to live by that. And I, I've, I've ignored people who've like, like, like have doubted me, like, you know, through the football career, but I, I think that that's something that never ends. There's always going to be people who question what we do question, you know, what, what I do. And I think it's just, you know, coming back at the end of the day is if I feel really good about, you know, the direction that, you know, I'm taking my business or that I'm okay with it. And then like, similarly, like you just said, like podcasting, like, uh, you know, when I look at that, it's like, you know, you know, I'm sure it'll probably happen the same, like, what, you know, like why a podcast? And it's like, you know, and I thought about the, you know, the reason why I'm doing this podcast is something like, like I, to me sounds fun and that I'm really going to enjoy doing. I don't, you know, and, and I, I, I'm not looking for to get ads or, or the number of downloads or anything like that. It's just a topic that I just I'm looking forward to really talking about, you know, I, I heard someone I actually, yeah, it was, it was just, 
it, it was, it was Allie Nolan, um, the, the runner I mentioned earlier that I had um, on, on the first show. And she talked about extrinsic and intrinsic value um, decisions. And I believe is, is, is the term she used and, you know, extrinsic, um, I believe would be like the actual like achievement of it. Like, you know, I, I would like, she was talking about running a marathon. Like, you know, do I want to want to, do I want to just do it to, to lose weight or do I want to like do it to feel good? You know, do I want it to like win a race or do I want to do it to like lower my blood pressure? Um, you know, like for, for good reasons. And she says like, she's found like the, the runners who did, did it for the, for the right reasons, because they really enjoy being out in nature running are the ones that were more successful and were able to run marathons versus the ones who said, Oh, I just want to have like my personal record, or I just want to like do this because at age 40, I said, I want to run a marathon. So she's found that the ones that do it more for like the love and the joy are the ones that generally are the ones who are more successful in running. And, and it makes sense because that, I think that's something that we can relate to, to anything we do in life. Are we doing it for the joy and the love, or is it just, you know, for, for other reasons, and if it's for other reasons, it's, we're probably not going to last very long in that career or that, or that, or that, uh, objective. Yeah. Well, I've, I, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people who don't even know what brings them joy. Like it, it we're at that level sometimes where it's like, I don't like this but I don't even know like what I would do if, if I could do anything, like what is that thing for me? I, I think the vast majority of people can't even answer that question. So how do you even start to define that for yourself? Like what actually even brings me joy? What, what do I want to do? I struggle with that still. I mean, I've, I've been, you know, jumping, I, I did construction for a long time and I hated that. And so now I own a brewery, which is super fun, but like beyond that, I want to do some other stuff and I'm really finding what I like about the brewery is it gives me a platform to help other people tell their story of going from, you know, from something they hate to something they like. I don't want to stop at being a brewery owner, but it's been even hard for me personally to hash that out and say, what, what is it about these people's stories that, that really makes me tick. Um, and I'm in it. Like I'm, I'm, I've done a lot of self-work in that. So for somebody to not, like to just be looking at that without context, how do you even start to define what makes you feel joyful? Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, that I, th I think it's that that's, that's really hard. I, I, I was watching the movie last night with, um, it just made me think of the movie I watched last night with my wife, um, uh, um, uh, pig. I don't know if you guys have seen that where, where he is a, uh, the actor in it is, um, not John Cusack. You guys know what I'm talking about where he is a, a um, the mushrooms where those like really expensive mushrooms from, from Italy. I have not heard of this one. Oh, <laughs> well, I, it's called pig. You're talking like the truffles. Yeah, exactly. Truffles. He is. Um, oh, it's new. Nicholas, Nicholas cage. Yes. Nicholas cage. So he is, a, he's a former chef who, um, his, his wife passes away. We, we never find out, but anyways, um, I don't want to give away the spoiler, but so he goes out and lives in the, in, in the, in the woods of middle of nowhere in Oregon. And he has, he has a pig who someone steals long story short, the movie ends up being really about you know, living with your passion. There's a scene in the movie where he goes to this really, he's, you know, goes into town to find out who, who took his pig and he, and he doesn't even really want to get the pig back to help the truffles is because he, he just, loves the pig and he has a conversation with the chef there and they he says hey you used to like work for me 
And when you work for me, all you talked about was opening up this pub someday and just doing it because you just, you just, you know, you, you just, that, that was, that was your love. And now here you are in this high-end restaurant trying to make me happy and trying to make that person happy and trying to make that person happy. And the guy like starts, you know, kind of lose it and starts to, you know, starts chugging his wine and starts to lose it. But like, it was a, it was a pretty powerful m- moment in the movie. And that's really where it was all about. And when I first saw it, I was like, what this, what's this all about? But it's, 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 I think it's that, 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 that timeless story where, you know, if we live our lives, like about what we think we should do and who we should please, then I think that that blocks out, like, you know, where, what our, what our true dreams are. And so I don't know if this answers the question, because I think it's really hard, but I think the, the more we go through this, oh, I'm at this age, I'm supposed to be doing this. Now I have this job. I'm supposed to be doing this. If we keep falling into that mindset of like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I think that blocks, you know, whatever dream it is that we have inside us from, from fully, fully being expressed or, or, or having a chance to blossom. It's that external identity piece. Huh? Yeah. If you see the scene in the movie, a much better job than me explaining it because, but it's, but it's, it's uh, it, yeah. When you read the premise, like, wait, this is about a, you know, truffle pig hunting truffles, but then you watch it. It's just, it's, it, it's, it's fantastic. Hmm. But moments like that only happen in the movies, right? <laughs> <laughs> Can't build them for ourselves. So I want to I want to tie this back because I think it it sums it up well what you're talking about with the intrinsic and extrinsic decisions and motivating factors and everything. And even in your own story, you are always attached to this external outcome. When I get my scholarship, I'll be happy. When I make a Division One program, I'll be happy. When I get bl- fill in the blank, I'll be happy. How has your goal setting changed knowing that those extrinsic motivators don't really work for you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think what was interesting too, like when I look back at that is I had the extrinsic of like, okay, I want this, but there was, when I did go train and kick, it was very, you know, I I was there. It was intrinsic. I kicked because... I, I love the kick. And when I would kick, you know, I, I had ADD, I was diagnosed with ADD at a very young age, but then when I would kick, there was the ADD certainly was, Hey, you got to go kick today. But while I was kicking it, it was, it was gone. Like I, like I was completely in the present moment and, and for a kicker, like you, you, you have to be, you can't think um, it happens so quick from the time the ball is snapped, you, you have 1.2 seconds to kick it. Otherwise it's blocked. So there's, there's, there's no kicking. You have to, you have to trust your snapper. You have to trust your holder and you just have to trust this, um, this feeling that you've put into your body to just do its thing. If I think about how to have my foot in the right position, the plant foot and all that, like it's, it's just not going to happen. So for me now, you know, I, I try to balance both because I think, you know, sometimes, you know, it is good to have like certain goals, but yeah, I try to, you know, be more on, on the intrinsic and on, on like the, why, why am I doing this? And so that's changed a lot for, for, for us or for even for like our, like our business. I think when we first got rolling in our business, it was completely for intrinsic for, for the yoga studio. My wife loved it. I loved it. And we just did it because we loved it. But then what happened is once we got rolling and we became like really successful, like there was like a lot of demand. So we had one studio and, you know, people were driving from all over the Pittsburgh area for our studio. So like, oh, so we should have another one. Cause like, you know, people will say, Hey, can you put a location here? So then we put a location here and then people are like, oh, I drive in from this area. You can put your location here. So we started making decisions based on like what people like requested or they wanted. And also we fell into this whole thing because yoga began to 
boom in the early 2000s. Like, like we, we would have like lines out the door. We would have 60 people in one class. They would walk out and 60 people would walk in. And then the next class, it was, so we fell into this, like, you know, more is more. And so we, for, there was a few years where we, I think we fell out, like why we did it. So we fell out of balance and it was like, this is what you're supposed to do. You're successful. Now try to be more successful. But luckily we, we, we saw what was happening and how we're making decisions. And now we've shifted back to, you know, why, why we do it. And that's because like, we really love it. And so now, you know, we definitely give more weight to our why versus like having these specific goals. Like we don't have goals like, Hey, we want to have this many people in the studio. We want to make this much money. It's just like, Hey, this is what we really love to do. And if we're able to continue to have people walking in our doors, we will, if not, then, you know, Hey, we're going to have to find something else to do. (laughs) That sounds crazy from an outsider's perspective. Like everything I am in organizational development and I help companies build strategies to do better. Like how do we get more people in the door is the thing we're shooting for. And what you're saying is fall back to the things you want to do, the things you love, the things that are true to you. And you're, I, I'm assuming what you're saying is those things will take care of themselves. Yeah. I think if what you have to offer is, is really good, it's, it's going to happen. I mean, this certainly works. I believe like, like, you know, for probably doesn't work for all businesses, you know, but you know, for us, the way we've run it is my wife and I really love what we do. So when we show up, we try to, you know, I think that's what comes out. I hope that comes out when we, when we teach, we've also noticed over the years, we've had a lot of different, you know, teachers that have worked for us. The ones that are like, are the most successful that have like, you know, a lot of people come to their classes and return to their classes. The ones that are still teaching after five, 10, 15, 20 years are also the ones that do it because they love it. They don't, they don't do it because they want all these people in their class. They do it because they love it. And then if they do it because they love it, they end up having all the, all these people in in their class. So I think, so, so I think it's nice to have this, Hey, I want to be really successful and I want the people, you know, to, to show up, and that's good to think that, but like, if, 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 if that's the only reason and it's not the process, then, then we're missing out. There's this like meditation that I teach to athletes, a visualization. And w- when I teach it, and I, I learned this from other, you know, meditation experts who have a lot more experience than I do working with athletes, but anyways, what, what they, what I do is not when they do the visualization, it's not them visualizing themselves holding a trophy, or it's not them visualizing themselves, you know, being like the Super Bowl MVP. It's them visualizing the actual process. Like, how does it feel? So like, if you're like a tennis player, it's not like, oh, you're, you're the Wimbledon champ. It's just that feeling of the perfect backhand where they just, they, you know, how the ball hits the racket and that, that feeling that they get you know, for a, a basketball player, it's the sound, you know, the sound of the, of the swish, or just that sound you get in your stomach. If, you know, you, you, you have this, have this dunk and you're hanging on the rim for a moment. So it's not that the thing that happens at the end, it's the actual process. And that's where the athletes truly have their, their most joy. And that's when they're really in the moment. And then if they are really in the moment, then yes, then they may, they may get the trophy, but if they just jump past it, then, then they miss that. I am fascinated by that. How does that look for somebody who's not an athlete though? Like, am I visualizing myself 
having an interview with you per se, or going to my desk job, how, how does that translate to the normal person? Well, I think that's like off the top of my head, it could be like, if you, if you want to get a promotion, it's maybe that feeling that you get when you send in whatever is like, you know, something that you do at your job that you just do like really, really brilliantly. And you know, like this customer interaction that you had, like on a sales call, for example, where you just were this, you know, you're just really listening to them or whatever it is that you know that you need to do on a successful sales call. So it's, it's not like you got the sale or the promotion. It's just whenever you have the interaction with someone like that feeling, um, you know, like I think back when I was in like, like uh, pharmaceutical sales, you know, it'd be like not thinking about, oh, you sold, you know, this amount of, of this this month and seeing that on the report. But when I was in the presence of a physician and we we're discussing a, a study and he was like agreeing with me, we're having this really healthy conversation. So that feeling where I know I was making a connection with them, then the result is yes, then I sold more and then eventually like got promoted. But it was, it was, it was, the, you know, those actions that, that eventually lead to that. Trust in that process. Well, I have a, a somewhat related question. At some level, you have to make sure your passions add value to other people. So where's the balance and the crossroad between finding your passion and making sure that you're adding value? I mean, you, you watch enough America's Got Talent. You know there's some passionate people out there, but not every one of them is, is actually talented. <laughs> you know, like, so... Even if, even if you're bringing it and like, this is what I want to do. This is who I am. It still has to add value to other people or it won't be successful. So where does that fit into the, the mix? Yeah, that that's like, like, like so hard. Like, you know, if I like, you know, tomorrow all of a sudden became very passionate about, I don't know, plumbing, I'd probably make a, I could, I could potentially be like a, like a lousy plumber. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, and I, I think that's, this, 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 this comes from, you know, being okay with failure, which I think is, it could be like a whole other, other conversation. And it's, it, 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 you know, I, I think just like continually throw yourself out there and know that okay, this is what I'm really passionate about. And I want to do this and, and, you know, I want to, um, you know, sell, I want to make jewelry and, and, and sell it on Etsy. This is what I'm really into. And I, I start to do that and, and nobody likes, nobody likes the jewelry I make. And so that didn't work. And I was really passionate about it. So maybe now I'm just going to do that, like, like as a hobby, but I'm going to keep, you know, open open for something else. I, I think, you know, this comes back to, you know, what I struggle with is always thinking life is going to go a certain way. And, and I, I want this to happen and this to happen and this happen. So I think it's, you know, if I can be really passionate about something, I want this to work, but I also have to understand, Hey, it may not, like you said, it may not add value. I mean, it may not be able to have an occupation out of this. I may not be able to change my career out of this, but I got to understand like, Hey, there, there could still be something else. And, you know, you know, the last thing I ever thought I, I would do in life and be happy with it and, and, and something I'd be like, like, so to speak, like, like proud to do was, was like be a yoga teacher. And it took me a really long time to get there. That's why, you know, you know, like just always just keeping an open mind, knowing that, you know, if I, if I just keep throwing myself out there, understanding that failure is going to be a part of the process but just don't spend too much time harping on that failure that other opportunities are, are, are going to come out of there. My wife and I are in this weird situation where we just don't know what's going to happen long-term with the, even like with our, our yoga business because of what's happening. And so that's why her and I are just starting to think, Hey, we let's think of some other things, you know, and, and you know, once we you know get through all this, we have to just be open to other stuff. And so we're just, 
you know, I, sometimes just in that spaghetti in the wall stage where we just start to just uh, not necessarily like make an actual vision board, but just, just, just talk about, like talk about our dreams. I'm, I'm lucky to have, my wife is always someone who you can throw out the biggest, craziest dream and she'll actually tell you, yes, you should do that. She's been telling me to like, like, like do podcasting for years. She told me, she was one of the only people that I told that I wanted to play in the NFL when I was in college. And that was because like we were friends at the time and I knew she, she wouldn't laugh at me. So I always try to have to be more like her. She's very unique like that, where she's just, she's pretty fearless to like, I'm just going to try this. And if I fall flat on my face, that's fine. I'll try something else. So I think it's just having that open spirit of just, you know, Hey, didn't go the way I wanted to, but there's gotta be something else out there. There's a line from your book that fits here that I'm glad you segued it. Cause I was trying to figure out how to do that. It says there's a battle between confidence and fear. And then you went on to like tell a story and then it came back again here a little bit with, let's see if I can find it. I wrote it down. Making kicks builds confidence. Missing kicks takes it away. <laughs> I like, I, I feel like those kind of go hand in hand. Like you, you are trying to find your way through being able to put yourself out at that point of failure, being able to risk that failure. But you have this other thing that you're confident in that you're capable of. How do you still navigate that? Or how do you recommend somebody navigate that that's new to it? You know, because you've had some experience with it now. It's an intentional practice that you put in place. But there are a lot of people out there being forced into missing kicks with new worlds of their life that they don't know how to navigate or know how to approach them. What do you offer them to, to be able to just fight through those first instances? Right. I, th- I think it's not attaching your like the whole self-esteem to the, to the highs and lows or the successes and, and not successes. Like, like, you know, kickers, like if you make it, it's good. If you miss it, it's no good. And I remember thinking if I make it now, I'm not only is a kick good, but I I'm good. And if I miss it, like now I'm, I'm, I'm bad. When I was with the, um, the Colts, there were, uh, Jim Harbaugh, who's now the coach of, of the university of uh, Michigan. I had, I struggled one day at practice. He, he was, you know, the quarterback with the Colts in, in 95 and he was also the holder. And after I, I, I missed a kick, I must've, my body language must've showed that I was down or whatever. And he like put his hand on my helmet and he looked at me and he said, you got to have a short memory you know, to make it in the NFL, you have to have a short memory. And I think, you know, like what I learned in kicking and and from what he said, I think that that's something that, you know, we can take into our, our, our daily lives. Like when something doesn't go well, it's just immediately, okay, learn from it. What's next. It's super hard to do. I I wish there was just like, just like that. But um, I think over time, like, you know, when we become more aware that we spend too much time on thinking of the misses in life, that, you know, just get better and better at that, that that's going to really help us, you know, live more in the present moment. And if you have intrinsic motivating factors of your why, it's easier to get up again, right? Right, if exactly. You miss, it's not personal. You can, it's easier to look at that and say, okay, this doesn't define that who I am piece because I enjoy the process. Right, exactly. Yeah. So like, like if I'm upset, things didn't, didn't go my way, but the, yeah, this, this is what I do. I keep going. But if I'm looking at this as something different, then yeah, it's so easy. Just psh, that's it. Failure. You just kind of walk around with that title. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> you have a lot of really good content out there and I'm excited to be able to share it with people. 
if somebody's picking up your book, who's not a sports fiend, because it, it uses the football metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. What can they take out of it? Maybe if they're not a sports person, because I think there's a ton of value there, even if they're not just for everyday life. Yeah, that, that was, that was another one of my hopes of the book is one of them was to help, you know, lead people to yoga meditation. But when I look at, you know, the mindfulness part of it, yoga is like, there's yoga poses and there's just yoga and, and yoga is, is, is like a state of mind. And so like one of the practices that we try to do in yoga is, is to be more grateful. And so that was a theme that I tried to bring into the book is just, and, and like, and as you asked, like, it just has nothing to do do with sports and, or, and even in the yoga. And so for me, it took me a really long time to be grateful about how my career went to be when my father passed to, 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 to look at that instead of way of, uh, instead of looking at my father's passing with, with anger, I to eventually look at it with gratitude. And so I think that's one of the, the biggest life lessons I try to bring in there. And that that's where the, the book ends is, is to, is to look at things more in life with gratitude, which, which I think is, is, is one of, or maybe the key to the keys to happiness. You know, when I struggled through my career, there was, you know, many moments when I look back at it as, you know, failure, you know, you failed. And I remember my wife being at the one time, what do you, what do you like, you know, when I was like down about being, you know, cut by the jets, like, what do you mean you failed? Like you, you played for the New York jets, but I couldn't see it that way because I, my, my, my level of practice and gratitude was nil. And so for me, there was nothing at that moment that I was grateful for. And so that's one of the big takeaways I, I was, I was looking to put out there for the book. Of course, um, you're just hoping anyone can get anything out of it, but you know, that was one of the, our underlying themes is, you know, is, is, is to be, is to be more grateful and to reframe our failures as like, Hey, this was an experience. I had to go through it. What did I, what did I learn from that? You have a practice that we could share with others for the gratitude piece. How do we build more gratitude in our life? Oh yeah. I, th- I think there's, there's, there's a couple of ways. I think um, just like making a gratitude journal, I think is, is, is really helpful. My, my wife and I do that um, with our kids, you know, we just say, Hey, why don't you just, you know, before you go to bed tonight, just like open up a journal and write down all the things that you're grateful for. And then they'll come down the next morning. And there's like, like, there's like 17 things on there. And so I think it's just, you know, I think that's one of the more effective ways of doing it. There's also like a a great gratitude meditation, you know, that, that we teach, which is really simple where you just spend about 10 minutes and you just, you know, while you're meditating, focusing on your breath, after you've done been focusing on your breath for a few minutes, you then shift and you just begin to go through in your mind, you know, picturing, you know, first you can picture all the people in your life that you're grateful for, you know, whether they're living or they've passed on. And then you can spend, you know, the next couple of minutes, you know, just being grateful for your health. And, you know, even if we, we have a health condition, that, you know, but that there's still part of us that is really healthy. And then, then it could move into like your job, your occupation, and maybe it's not a job that you like, but it's, it's still giving you some opportunity. And you know, then, then, then you can shift into, you know, just being grateful for, you know, being alive and nature. And so there's, it's just however you want to do it. But I think just either spending time writing down what you're grateful for, or just taking a moment to step out and do that. I think it can really make a big difference. Cause I think very, we spend very little time in our day-to-day lives. It's so easy to focus on like what's going wrong and what I don't like about things versus, you know, you know, we spend a lot, uh, much less time thinking about, you know, all the things that we are lucky to have and be grateful for. Amen. Preach that, preach that message for sure. So you started this journey when you were 
a child, you had the realization of like, you wanted to be in the NFL. Seems unique to me. I didn't as a kid think like, oh, this is the thing. And then I chased it. But if you're talking to a parent who has a kid who is pretty certain, what guidance would you give them? Great question. And I think nowadays it's, it's more difficult because of all these travel teams we have now. And not only that, we have, you know, uh, what's part of it is, is, is sports specialization. So I think the biggest advice I can give is a, if you have a child who, you know, wants to go to like a high level of sports is to, is to play multiple sports and not just do the year round. I mean, we're seeing kids as young as 12 having uh, Tommy John surgery or they're, they're, they're candidates for it already. Um, at 12? You know, oh yeah. And you know, um, here in Pittsburgh, there's, there's billboards from uh, the UPMC University of Pittsburgh medical center. And they'll say, does your child suffer from, they have a, they have a name for it now. I forget what it is, but it's like overtraining itis. And, you know, we're seeing it kids at a super young age um, have hip problems, knee problems, and, and kids who at a young age look like they're, they're destined for college, but by the time they get to high school, they're, they're done because of overtraining. Um, my one daughter played um, uh, uh, field hockey and she made it to college. And throughout her career in college, a lot of the girls quit and it was just because of overtraining and it, and it wasn't overtraining. A lot of them wasn't, they, they didn't quit because of overtraining physically, a lot of them because they overtrained mentally because they're on so many travel teams. There was so much pressure coming from their parents to like, to, you know, to, to, to get a scholarship and all that stuff. And so that's where I think we're pretty out of balance right now. You know, I've heard stories from parents, you know, from, about people who, who wanted their kid to play, college hockey and then the kid gets a college hockey scholarship and he turns it down because he's his parents have been pushing him for years to do it the kid the kid's done and so i think it's just coming back again you know to this intrinsic value you know like is is the kid doing it for fun does he love it you know and and how can we make sure we don't take that joy away from the kid if we're if we're every single weekend 12 weekends out of the summer, giving up our, our family vacation because we're, we're taking our kids to this tournament because we want them to get the college scholarship. It's probably not going to work out the way that we, that we want it to, you know? And so I think it's just making sure that these kids have balance and, you know, also like there's more than life to sports. So like, are they doing sports, but like what else, you know, help them find some other interests beyond, beyond sports. But I think we've we've gone pretty far to the to the one direction where it's it, it, I think it's like even affecting some of these kids kids mental health where they're being driven and you know because athletes as I mentioned earlier are already perfectionists by nature but if we're applying another layer to that multiple layers then you know this is probably not going to end well for a lot of young athletes both physically and mentally so I think it's just really key to help these these kids find balance. And the thing is too, like if they are going to end up being college level or beyond, they don't need all this training. Like it, it's, it's in them, you know, like, like they, they have it, they're, 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 they're going to make their way there. You know, it, it's, it doesn't matter how good they are at age eight, nine, and 10, how good are they when they, when they're, when they're 20, 21. So we don't need to drive them so hard. Like my son plays baseball and there's kids now who throw like 14 years old for like 90 mile an hour fastballs. So what is this kid going to do between now, age 14 and 20 for major leagues? He can't get much faster, but he's going to probably drive himself to get faster. And, you know, is, is he going to, is he going to make it 
to the to the big leagues? Probably not. You know, just percentage wise, but like you know, it makes sense to 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 not go all in on 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 one sport. Hmm. I'm glad you brought that mental health piece in that because that that goes back to what we were talking about. Like, you have these adults that have no idea what they like. Well, they've been living vicariously through their parents playing one sport their whole life and now they hate it and they've got nothing <laughs> left to hold on to. Back to that identity piece. Like it's as parents, we gotta be careful to not create our, our kids' identities for them. Right, for sure. Absolutely. Hmm. Travis, anything else you wanted to ask or tap into, sir? I mean, I would just be curious, like where do you want this book to go and who do you want it to reach? Mm. Yeah, well, actually, the, the last question is, is probably who I've I, I've found is some of the, the biggest readers of the book is actually parents and parents giving it giving it to their to their kids who are playing a sport. And that wasn't really my one of my original ideas for the for the book, as I mentioned before, it was more about like identity and former athletes. But I think some parents are finding like, hey, this is a good book to give. My, my son or daughter now, who I see is going down this road of overtraining, perfectionism, self-loathing in, 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 you know, in relationship to their, to their sports. So, you know, yeah, I, I would like to see it go more in that direction because I think it can be really, really helpful for them. And um, yeah, and then just also just, you know, to help people go through, especially like, with, you know, what's happening now is, is, is with identity. And, you know, it was certainly something that, that I struggled with as an athlete, but yeah, it's, it's something that it's, it's, it's never ending that we always have to go through and, and just, you know, reminding ourselves that we're so much more than, you know, these labels that we put on, put, put on ourselves. What's the easiest way for people to find you online and as well as the book? Yeah. The easiest way would be my website, seanconley.net, S-E-A-N-C-O-N-L-E-Y.net. Uh, they can find my book there or Amazon. It's, it's, you know, everywhere else as well. Um, social media, I would say I'm mostly on Instagram. So that's um, uh, to Sean Conley is my handle there. So yeah, both, both of those work. And then on my website, there's email. And also on my website, there's a, uh, there's a, uh, uh, I have a whole bunch of free videos of, of meditations that are not just for athletes, but are also just for, for people who just want to like, just get into meditation and just do some basic, uh, mindfulness meditations as well. Awesome. We, can we share some of that stuff on our platform? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Heck yeah. And then as far as the podcast, where, what do you want people to know about the podcast in a nutshell? Cause that's coming out. That'll probably be out actually by the time this episode airs. So what should people know? Oh yeah, excellent. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, S September fourteenth. Um, that'll be that'll be the launch date. The, the first episode will, will be with um, Ali Nolan, the um, the editor, uh, contributor, editor and contributor at um, uh, Runners World. And yeah, and, and then I'm gonna. I, I have a whole. I've been recording some now. It's it's, it's mostly athletes, but we're gonna go beyond that. It's athletes who are looking to you know fat stories of overcoming uh, obstacles, resilience, but also like athletes and people who are, who are making a difference beyond that. So I have a few athletes that'll be coming on soon who are activists with, with climate change. So it, it's, it's, you know, with the hope of just, you know, you know, coming back to this whole conversation of just you know, helping people like maybe spark some ideas and too, I'm hoping that everything that, that comes on the show, maybe just gives, there's just one moment in the, in the show where they, 
someone listening gets a spark like, oh, well, hey, that's a, that's a great idea. I think, I think I may look to do that. Or maybe he or she is doing that. Like, so, hey, I think I can do that too. So that's also the other big hope of the show that just, it just helps inspire people listening to, to be open to, to you know, new avenues of possibilities. The Happy Athlete. And that'll be available on any podcast platform? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. iTunes, Spotify, the, 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 whole, the whole gamut is the hope. I'm excited. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys. Sean, thank you for being so gracious with your time and your story. And we'll make sure we direct people your way. And thank you for such a great interview. We appreciate you. Yeah, thanks. I, I had a blast. I appreciate the time.